are so glad to be with the people of God one more time. Thankful that you count it not robbery to be here with us tonight in his presence. And I don't know about you, but David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Amen. And so I'm glad to be here tonight. Um, we are in a series, and I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to jump right back into our series. We're in a series on rebuilding. And we've been saying throughout this time, I don't know what you need to rebuild. Maybe it's uh, a marriage. Maybe it's a calling. Maybe it's a mission, something God's called you to do. Maybe God's calling you to rebuild how you see yourself. One of the things that I need to be reminded of all the time is I am God's son, and I am loved by him. Maybe that needs to be con the condition of your conversation with God, that you are his beloved son and daughter, and he is well pleased in you because of Jesus. And so we've been talking about that, and Elder Nahum did a really good job just laying out the building of the wall, and so we're excited to continue in this series. Kind of a sneak, pre for, a sneak peek for next week. Uh, we're going to be talking about Christians, voting, and politics. Christians, voting, and politics. So I think it's going to be good. And I'm still going to come from Nehemiah. We're going to see what the text has to say to us. But today we're going to continue in our series on rebuilding. I was having a conversation with a seasoned saint. Does anybody know what a seasoned saint is? Okay, good. This, this seasoned saint... An older woman in the faith has been a believer longer than I've been born, longer than I've been alive. And I was telling her about some stuff that I was going through and had a particular challenge that me and my family have, and so I was telling her about it. And this seasoned saint said to me, you know, Rodney, you're, you're, you're having some challenges and you're going through some stuff. If you keep finding yourself going through difficulties, it just may mean that's not what God has for you and that you need to find something else, you need to do it another way. She said to me that if you find yourself pressing and having challenges and stuff not working out, it's okay, it's okay. It may not be what God has for you, you need to look for something else. But I had trouble receiving what this seasoned saint was saying after she quoted this text from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, which says, the blessing of the Lord maketh one rich and addeth no sorrow to it. What she was implying is that if it is the blessing of the Lord, then there should be no sorrow to it. There should be no grief to it. But sorrow signifies anxiety. And that's not the same thing as having to fight. Because as the believer, we are told repeatedly, in this life you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have already overcome the world. We know passages like godly soldiers must suffer persecution. We know that the Christian walk is not this nice, easy, light thing that we all get to enjoy, but it is filled with challenges and difficulties. I had a challenge receiving what she was saying because I thought about Joseph and how when Joseph was dealing with his brothers, his brothers rejected him. As this dreamer, his father even had questions about his dream. Yet God uses Joseph's dream to elevate him in power and rescue a nation. I thought about Moses, who when he was in the process of rescuing this nation out of slavery, experienced great difficulty dealing with Pharaoh. 
I thought about Jeremiah who preached and preached, this weeping prophet declaring God's truth over and over again and not seeing one single convert. I thought about David who was prophesied that he would be king, and yet this 12-year process is filled with difficulty, including attempts on his very life by the king he is to replace. Rodney, what are you saying? Beloved, this Christian life includes a fight you have to fight. I would argue it's a fight of faith. And so God will allow us to go through difficulty. So the question is, Rodney, okay, well, how do I know when it's something that I need to persevere through? And how do I know it's not something that God's trying to communicate, me, communicate to me about a wrong road I'm going through? How do I know the difference? Here's how. The primary way that God is gonna to speak to you and I is through his word. And this is why our time in God's word matters. He has much that he wants to say to us, but if we do not come to the book, we cannot discern it, and we live in confusion and complacency. He wants to speak to us through his word. He wants to speak to us through spiritual disciplines like prayer and, and, and Bible study. He wants to speak to us through godly counsel. And so, man, one of my hopes in my prayers for you as we talk about the difficulty that Nehemiah is going to face in this passage is that you and I learn that there are some times where we have to fight. Somebody say fight. Amen. Somebody say fight. I hope y'all don't fight like y'all said it. <laughs> no. Anyway, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 through 14. Look at 14 verses. I'll read it in your hearing. It should be on the screen. Now, when Samballot heard that we were, we were rebuilding the wall, he was angry, angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubble and the burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, yes, what are they building? Even if a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone walls. Verse 4, Nehemiah starts to pray. He says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from our sight. For they, are, they have provoked you to anger in the presence of builders. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. For the people had a mind to work. But when Samballot and Tobiah... And the Arabs and, uh, and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens 
is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came, uh, who lived near them came to all the directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. Verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space between the wall, in open places, I stationed the people in their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I want to talk to you about three things this morning. The faith fight is our topic. Number one, determine distractors. Number two, prayer and action. And number three, the battle within. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We pray through this text. Would you speak to your people? I pray that through this text, you would illuminate some truth that you want them to know. I pray against fear and anxiety. I pray against weariness and, and being tired, Lord. I pray that we would experience in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of our tiredness, a refreshing that comes by the Spirit of God. I pray that you would renew our strength. I pray that you would clarify our vision for the things that you're calling us to. And God, so we thank you and we bless you. Have your way in this place, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk a little bit context real quick. Nehemiah's a cupbearer, working a government job, regular guy. Sees what's going on in Jerusalem, the breaking down of the walls, and he commits himself to prayer and fasting. He commits himself to planning and patience and eventually having a conversation with the king to see if there would be something that can be done about the rebuilding of the walls. Jeremiah, Nehemiah cast this vision to raise resources and raise support to rebuild the wall and then cast a vision to the people to help support the rebuilding of the wall. And the people say, yes, we will rebuild. You know, the Nahum laid out last week how people, big and small, of great stature and of low stature, agreed to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And then we get to Nehemiah chapter 4. And we see is some folks throwing shade. Point one, determined distractors. Now this word shade, I wanted to find it. So we'll make sure everybody understands and track with me as I use this word. Shade is trying to act in a slick or casual manner by using something against someone. It's disrespecting, it's insulting, it's judging. They were throwing shade at the people of God because their aim was to distract them. Listen to some of the stuff that they said. They called them, you soft, feeble people. In other words, they're saying to these Jews that are trying to rebuild the wall, that's trying to do a good work in the name of the Lord, he calls them weak and feeble. In other words, he's saying, who do you think you are? Now question for us, has anyone ever said that to you? 
Have you ever been trying to do a good work and someone say these words, who do you think you are? What gives you the right to be, eat, to be at the table? And then he says to them, will they restore it themselves? In other words, you can't do that. You don't have the education. You don't have the pedigree. You don't have the resources. You don't have the experience. You're not qualified. Maybe someone else can do that, but you can't do that. Then he says, will they sacrifice? In other words, do they have what it takes to accomplish this? They say, will they finish in a day? In other words, you are overly optimistic. You are green behind the ears. You, you don't even know what you're talking about. It would take a long time to build this wall, and you don't have what it takes. Have you ever heard that before? I have. What's your response when you hear shade thrown at you like that? Can I tell you my response? Bet. Oh, it's going to happen. Matter of fact, you're saying those things to me with confirmation that somehow, some way, I'll make it happen. Nehemiah is going to teach us something completely different. Because our motivation cannot be to prove that those that do shade at us are wrong and we are right. That's too weak of a motivation. And eventually, with that motivation of getting back at the people that are coming at us, we'll eventually run out of gas and throw in the towel. We need a greater motivation when shade is thrown at us. And Nehemiah is going to help us. Nehemiah is going to show why the Bible is drastically different than all of the self-help books that you find in your bookstore on online. Nehemiah is going to help us understand that his response to shade is not about him defending his own ability. It's about him increasing and progressing the mission of God and what God's called him to do. It's not about his charisma as a leader or his ingenuity. It's about the glory of God. So I want to pause and say to you, remember what we've been saying throughout this series. What is it that God has called you to rebuild? And how is God going to get glory out of what he's called you to do? Because something for yourself is far too selfish. It, 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 it needs something greater where we're going to not just be a blessing to ourselves, and to our home and to our family, but a blessing to people around of what has God called you to rebuild? What has he called you to rebuild? Nehemiah understands, I'm not here to pump up my name. I'm not here to make a name for myself. I'm not here to rub shoulders with the elite. I'm not here to, to, to get a good enough job that shores up my retirement. I'm here on assignment for God's glory. So when things get tough, I can endure because it's not even about me. It's about him. So these people are throwing shade at you. At, and, and we see this in the text. They say that they are angry. Nehemiah did them nothing, but they are angry. And here's why they're angry. They're angry because if Nehemiah succeeds, it means they lose power and they lose wealth. They lose prestige and they lose position if Nehemiah succeeds. So their anger is not even about Nehemiah. It's about a loss of power. Rodney, what are you saying? A lot of times shade is thrown at you. It's not even about you. It's about their own issues and insecurities. It's not even about Nehemiah. So one thing we learn right up front, it doesn't matter if it was Nehemiah or, or, or Deborah or Mike or Richie or Angela or Kimberly. 
the assault would have been the same. See, something changed when I know you're not really fighting me. You're fighting the mission of God that I'm called to accomplish. So one of the things we know that we can do is we can, we, we can lean into the fact that God is for us regardless of what they say. And we know we got an enemy that we have to contend with whose work is to fight the kingdom of God. We saw this with Jesus. This was the Pharisees. This was the Sadducees. This, these were the scribes. These were the religious leaders who tried to undermine Jesus at every turn. Why? To retain their own position and privilege in the community. They were fighting Jesus to hold on to something that they were incapable of holding on to anyway. And they were seeking to hinder the work of Jesus and to muffle the power of the gospel. See, the wisdom of Jesus is that he knew how to respond in every circumstance to all of the shade that was thrown against him. And Nehemiah is going to teach us how we can respond when our distractors speak against us. We can take it to God in prayer. Now look at verse 4 and hold on to your seatbelts. Verse 4 says this, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own head and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives or slaves. Don't cover their guilt. Don't forgive them. And let not their sins be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Do you see what Nehemiah is saying? Nehemiah is saying, kill them. Destroy them. You heard them. You heard what they said about me, about us. I'm working for you, remember? Get them. Now, I know we're not used to that kind of language particularly as Christians, looking at Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. But one of the things I'm encouraged by Nehemiah is when he is angry, he goes to God. Look at the pivot. It is so good that Nehemiah, when he is being insulted, turns right to God instead of left to clap him back on him. It's better that he prays. And Nehemiah is honest, not just about how he's feeling in the injury. He's honest about this God of justice, because here's what Nehemiah knows, that God is holy and God is righteous and God is set apart. And you shouldn't talk about his work like that, that he has his own mission for his own glory and his own purposes. And you little humans should not speak against the holiness and the righteousness of God. What we see in Nehemiah is not just that he's hurt and he's clapping back. He's, he's defending the righteous status of our God. This is a prayer of justice. We see these kinds of prayers in the Psalms. And so be invited into these kinds of prayers where we speak and we pray for God's glory. Yes, we love our enemies and we pray for them, but we also pray concerning God's justice. Lord, would you be this God of justice in our community, in our nation? When you see unrighteousness, Lord, would you move and be the God of justice in this city, the God of justice in this nation? That's in the book. 
I love what J.I. Packer says about this. He says, in sermons and in Bible studies, we often exhort, we are often exhorted to love one another, but we rarely encourage to hate more. Yet there are some things believers should hate. We should hate sin and its consequences, which ultimately are a loss to the blessing and a loss of life. Sin always results in a loss. Believers should hate anything that opposes God, his glory, and his character. Nehemiah responds to the distractors with prayer, but not prayer alone. Point two, pray in action. Have you ever had something happen to you and um, the response is, um, well, just pray about it. God's going to work it out. Just take it to God in prayer. I'm telling you, listen, folks don't have to know what you're doing. When you're in your closet praying to God, and he's going to fight on your behalf. God's going to fight your battles. And everything that I just said to you is yes and amen. But I love what Nehemiah teaches us about prayer. Because he does not just pray, he takes action. Look at verse 9. He says this, and we prayed to our God. Verse 9, we prayed to our God. You see it? We prayed to our God and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. I prayed on my knees. His knees are sore from praying. This is a praying man. Throughout this book, we see him praying all through the text. But he didn't just pray. He took action. And he set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Here's what we learn from Nehemiah. Prayer is essential. I love that he prayed first. This is his pattern throughout this book. He prayed first, but he didn't just stop at prayer. He took action. And I think sometimes we can be guilty of waiting on God to do something that he's already given us the resources to do. Stories told of a man who was drowning out at sea. He's drowning out at sea, and he's, he's there, and he's waiting to be rescued. He's praying to God to rescue him. Well, a guy comes out, and he's rowing his little boat, and he's saying, listen, can I save you? He says, no, thank you. I appreciate the gesture. You're very kind, but I'm praying and waiting on God to save me. Later on, a motorboat zooms by, gets out to him, trying to rescue him from John. He's like, no, thank you. God got it. God's in control. God's on my side. Lastly, a helicopter comes and storing down rescue to save this man, and he rejects it time and time again, missing the natural and just looking for the supernatural. God says, when he gets to heaven, he's asking, why didn't you save me? Why didn't you rescue me? Why didn't you show up? He's like, I did three times. Remember the, the boat that came rowing by? Remember the motorboat? Remember the helicopter? I was trying to get to you, but you couldn't see it because you were looking for something else. It's one thing to pray. Yes, absolutely. But open your eyes. That's what's before you. He says to Moses on a burning bush, Moses, what do you have in your hand? Just this, just this rod. Just, I, I've had it for years. I, I, I use it to keep the sheep. Just, just this little rod. But that same rod that was in his hand the whole time is what God uses to split the Red Sea. That same rod, when they need clean water, is what Moses used to bring it out. That same thing that's been in, what's in your hand? Don't miss 
the answer to prayer, looking for some supernatural occurrences and praise God for the supernatural. But sometimes the supernatural showed up naturally right before your super eyes. He prayed and he took action. These two are not mutually exclusive. You can pray and strategize. You can pray and plan. That planning is not a lack of faith. That part of the reason I can plan, I can plan in faith because as I prayed, I'm confident that because I'm seeking God, he's going to direct my path. He prayed and he planned. Last one, point three, the battle within. Nehemiah has these people. He's been encouraging them. He's been motivating them. He's been, he, he's been doing an incredible job, but this, the, the noise of the outside has begun to seek in to the inside. What they were saying began to become what we're saying. And I find this battle happening even in our culture today. Sometimes the church is not taking its cadence from God's word, so we begin to parrot what the, words, the, the world says and what they think, and we just become uh, 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 microphones to echo what, what, what the current news media is saying to us. And in so doing, we've lost the force and the substance of God's word that is supposed to direct us. And, and what was out there begins to leak in here. There's holes in the boat somewhere. And we see, the, we see this in the people of God. Look at verse, verse 10 and see what the people of God, the people of God who's been doing this good work. Look how they respond. Verse 10, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's, there's too much rubble. By ourselves, we are not able to rebuild the walls. Listen to the people of God. It was God's idea for you to start building. He's the one that gave you the resources to start. In this building project right here, they are 50% done. The, the walls are halfway built. And here's what they said. I, my, my, my strength is failing now. There's, there's too much rubble. There's, there's too much work. And I don't know if I can do this by myself as if you are by yourself. What is it that happens in the believer's mind when we begin to get weary? A lot of times when our heart is broken and our heart is tired, our head don't work. And this is why you need to hear the preached word of God, faithful exposition that tells you time and time again, no, the God that promised is faithful. You started a good work and he's going to see it to completion. Just don't you quit. You need to be reminded of that. Because here's the scary thing. When they say this, they're probably right. They've been built. Have you tried building a wall? I've already confessed to y'all. I hire people when stuff goes wrong at the house. I pick up the phone. That's what I do. They've been building a wall. They're tired. They're weary. There is a lot of rubble here. 
We don't know if we can do it by ourselves. Those things are true. And listen, beloved, it can be true but not be right. Just because it's true, you can see it, you can touch it, it's data, it's real, doesn't mean it's the right response. And the people of God must be shrewd enough to be able to determine between what's true and what's right. And right on the heels of that, look at verse 11. Then the enemy says, they're not even going to know what hit them until it's too late. We're going to kill them, and we're going to stop the work. The Jews that are nearby come back and tell Nehemiah, and man, listen to what Nehemiah does. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says this. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and in open places, I stationed the people by their clan. And I said, get their swords. They come in, get their swords. We pray and we take action. Get your spears, get, get your bowls, get, get something with an edge because the enemy is coming and I don't want him to catch us off guard. Isn't it like God to leave somebody to tell you something so that you can prepare yourself before you go into it? The enemy is coming. He's not going to catch us off guard. We're going to prepare ourselves. And look at verse 14. And I looked in the rows and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, look what he says. Point number one, gospel implications. Don't you be afraid. One of the good things that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ because of his sacrificial life and death, we do not have to be afraid. Do you hear that today? That you do not have to fear because the worst that the enemy can do against us has already been defeated in Christ Jesus. He has already conquered death in the grave. So we don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. Whatever the report is, whatever what happens, whatever they say, you don't have to fear. You could be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. And I know this is easier said than done, but just because it's easy to say it don't mean it's not true and it's not right. The enemy will come. But Jesus has told us we don't have to be afraid. Point two, he says, remember the Lord how great and awesome he is. When you remember God is on your side, that you can take courage that the Lord is with you. Listen, beloved, I've been encouraged this week as I'm talking to different people in our church. I'm talking to people outside of our church. Had a beautiful opportunity to spend some time with some church planters and they're planting these churches in, in, in West Florida and in North Florida. And, and, and one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm understanding as I'm listening to their story is God is real. And he is really moving even through a pandemic. What I've realized is God seriously cannot be stopped. His mission will happen whether we sign on to be a part of it or not. The gospel's going to go forth. Folks are going to be saved. His kingdom is going to come. Listen, it's going down. So we, in the midst of temptations and challenges and difficulties and problems and issues in life, we need to remember this. We need to remember that God is real and God is active. We need to remember that our God is unique. He's different. 
we got to remember that God is attentive to us. He hears us when we pray. And I'm not just muttering things at this ceiling and it's coming down. No, God hears me when I pray. He's concerned. we got to remember that God is righteous. That Romans 3 tells us that there is none is righteous. No, not one. Only Christ is righteous. Only God is righteous. That he's powerful. I don't serve no weak, no impotent, no, no, no inefficient God. My God is powerful and strong and is, can overcome anything. My God is holy. Thank you, Lord. So when I, when I come to him, I do understand that because of Jesus, I can just show up. I can just come to him because Jesus has made a way for me to come to him. But I also need to remember he's holy. Thank you, Lord. He's righteous. He's set apart. I'm talking to the creator of the whole universe. And so I come in with reverence and honor because my God is holy. And the same God that is holy is also sovereign. I've been reminded of that this week. This has been an up and down week for me. Roller coaster week. One of the things I remember, man, God's sovereign. He's in control. Stuff don't catch him by surprise. And he accomplishes his will that he set out to accomplish. Number seven, God's unfailing. He's not going to fail. And this same God will fight for us. Listen, when we know God will fight for us, we got a whole different swagger. Look at the rest of the text. This is the third thing that Nehemiah tells the people. He says, he told them, don't be afraid. He told them, remember your Lord. Thirdly, he told them, yo, you got to fight. You got to fight. He says, fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives and your houses. In other words, you are going to have to fight. Listen, God's going to do the fighting, but you got to fight. God's going to get you the victory, but you got to show up. This is a partnership that we have with God. This is not just, okay, God, go. He's like, no, you go with me and I'll work through you. It's my power through you, but you got to show up. This is what David experienced when he's fighting a life. He's like, I'm going to whoop you. If I'm David, I don't see it. Ten-foot giant, I can't see it. If I'm betting money, I love David. Go, people of God, give me 50 on Goliath. Like, I don't see how that works. But if God be for David, who can be against him? So David has to show up. All he got is these little rocks that he's trying to throw. But the rocks with God is enough. Listen, what you have with God, it's enough, which means David doesn't need to look for a sword. He has all he needs to get the job done. Maybe you need to stop searching and Googling and throwing out stuff and, and throwing resumes everywhere and, 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 and all that. No, maybe what you have in your hand is enough to satisfy what God's called you to do, you got to fight. Why? Because your loved ones are at stake. He's not just saying, fight for yourself. Fight for your dream. You got you to gotta believe in your dream. He ain't saying that. He ain't saying that. He said, fight for your brother. In other words, he says, let me give you a vision that's greater than yourself. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your houses. Fight not just for yourself, for others. Here's why First Peter tells us, for the enemy, 
goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But I'm so glad that he's going around like a lion, not a lion. In other words, our enemy, and he is our enemy, and he is shrewd, but he also is an imposter. And he has no power or authority over the people of God. So we can take cheer and take confidence and fight the good fight that God has called us to do.